Good day, everyone, wherever you are, wherever you're watching this. Um, before before we even begin our conversation and our wonderful guest that we have today, please feel free to subscribe and like our YouTube channel and video as we have interesting and informative discussions to come. Um, and do check out our videos from previously. Today we have the wonderful Cynthia with us um, and what a privilege it is to have her this month as we reflect and we discuss all things pride related, all things um, within the LGBTQ plus community and really deep dive into some of the challenges and barriers but also how we can be allies, how we can be advocates for, for those within the community and really make everyone feel that they're in a safe and open environment to be their authentic selves. So thank you so much, Cynthia. It's great to have you again. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, it's absolutely a delight to be back and chatting with you today. Amazing. And I love the headband as well, representing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is, so, my visual, this is my visual protest um, for the month because it's been such a hard year, um, mm. is to let people know that when I'm walking down the street, and because I tend to enjoy a lot of privilege in the way that I look and therefore I pass in public and so forth is I'm standing out and I'm letting people know that, I, that I'm here, that I'm queer, that I exist. I'm not going away and we need to have the discussion about how we normalize society mm. to accept um, those who are perceived to be different. Yeah, no, certainly. Thank you yeah. so much for that. And, you know, it's all welcome here on our platform and we love to see it. So thank you so much for, for bringing that to, to, to our discussion today You're and welcome. to our podcast. It's great to have. Um, as we, we we're going to get into a lot of interesting discussions mm -hmm. and people will probably be wondering and asking a lot of questions as to how they can be an ally, how they can support. And there are also some people that perhaps don't understand. So hopefully we yeah. can create that space today that will allow them to reflect um, on some of the topics that we've had. So mm -hmm. before we get into the, 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 the beast of it and the depth yeah. of it all, feel free to give us a bit of an, an introduction about yourself, your story, your background. That would be sure. great. Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, you know, sometimes your story, it's, a, you know, it's never interesting to you. Uh, <laughs> so th the short version would be um, for the first 50 years of my life, I was very socialized and, and um, pressured into living the life that was assumed based upon my genitalia at birth. So mm -hmm. as a man, and that was up to 50. And at the age of 50, I was a senior executive, a C-suite executive in charge of technology um, with an organization. And I came out. Um, and the journey was not coming out as gay, but to actually realize that I've been living a lie that since four years old, I have known who I've been. I just bowed to the pressure put upon me through socialization of adapting to who they wanted me to be, not who I actually was. And at the age of 50, I began the journey um, to become myself. And unfortunately, through that journey, um, I was disowned by my birth family. Um, I lost my marriage of 32 years at the point that um, it was official. And um, the first year with my children was very, very difficult. 
Um, there was very little communication. Thankfully, now seven years later, we have rebuilt those relationships and we have reconnected in an absolute new way and, you know, kind of moving forward. Now, through that exercise, I also left that executive career because I found that it actually wasn't aligned to what I wanted to do and what I found kind of, if you will, heart-driven, heart-centered work. And so I moved into the DNI space, um, specifically focusing on diversity education and training related to everything to do with gender. And so that's kind of where I've gone along the way. I've lived in six different countries in doing this. Um, I've been fortunate to deliver over 400 events um, for organizations around the world in over 30 different countries. So I have been very blessed to really, uh, you know, be able to take this message of acceptance without understanding that we'll probably dive into a bit. But it really is the beginning place for folks to learn how to deal with such a diverse workplace and a society. And they really struggle to try and figure out how to fit in. And so, uh, as I like to say, with one leader with two genders worth of experience, um, I love to bring that to every engagement that I do um, with organizations in helping them begin the journey of learning acceptance as a way to deal with diversity um, in their workplace. Uh, whether and it could be their clients, it could be their investors, stakeholders in general, um, because uh, the world is very diverse. Um, mm has been um it's not a new thing and it's just that it much we're much more aware of it we're much more awake and aware that the world is this diverse and we're all learning how to deal with that. yeah and i think we're all aiming to well some i'm, I'm not going to put everyone but <laughs> i think we all to an extent are, are are looking to unlearn because there is a lot within our social socialization, as you said, and this sense of normalization. And I would love to dig in, you know, yeah. how, how norms have created such a space where it, it has othered people, no matter, you know, what their background is. Um, there, there, there's a real sense of othering due to this kind of standardized norm of what is perceived to be right and what yeah. is perceived to be not right um and i think th there is a lot of unlearning of that behavior because it's been we've kind of been indoctrinated and um maybe i'm gonna sound like um <laughs> really crude but it, it is from those white supremacist institutions mm -hmm. and structures and systems of power that has really led us to to to, to believe that one thing is the norm and the other thing is not so yeah. I think there's a lot of unlearning that we have to do throughout this process and as we enter and engage in more conversations and people are more comfortable to be open with who they're who they are we, we are now trying to find ways to get back to that um but coming back to um one of the points you mentioned and I guess one of my yeah. first questions and we're going to start from the personal outwards because okay. I think who, who you are as a person has really impacted the work that you do outside. But what my, my first question, and I think a lot of people, and even I'm a bit curious, okay. is why wait until you're about 50 to, to really be your authentic self? Yeah, um, great question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. You know what? And there's a couple of different ways to look at it. One mm-hmm. is I am who I am today because of the journey that I've been on. Um, and I believe that we all find in our spirituality mm-hmm. that there's a right time to do certain things. And for me, everything aligned at the point that, if you will, that I was awoken to facing the mm-hmm. decision of that I'd been hiding. The, the only decision was ever made is that I chose to bow to social pressure to mm-hmm. be the person they wanted me to be rather than being the person I always knew, again, consciously since four years old, that I knew I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, lots of things. I mean, I always <laughs> share the example that it was, you know, you turn 50. Um, that makes you question a lot of things in life. Uh, so there was that element, you know, and, and it's kind of, you know, who am I? Have I achieved what I wanted to in life? You know, those kinds of things. Um, the other one was my my youngest child, my daughter, um, was graduating high school in North America at the time. So, um, you know, for 18 plus years, uh, I guess 20 with all the primary school, um, mm-hmm. you know, I was her parent, right? Mm-hmm. And I had a role, but not an identity. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, she was leaving that school system. My eldest, my son, um, you know, he was off into uni already. And it was that place that it struck and it was like, okay, I lost that part of my identity. So at 50 and my daughter graduating, I'm going, okay, there's two elements. Mm -hmm. And the third and final that was really contributing at the time was I was kind of on a, uh, an effort to get healthy um, through various different things that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And when it came to weight loss, because I was almost 300 pounds, at the time, you know, I began this program and it was much more kind of whole food eating, um, uh, more vegan based. So it, mm-hmm. it was very healthy. And the reality was that when I started the program, you know, you kind of make a commitment of why are you doing this? Like that kind of North Star. And mm-hmm. so for me, the very first North Star was I wanted to do this and get healthy so I can retire and travel the world. I was on the program for three months, fell off the wagon. That was it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Step back. Let's restore. Okay. Maybe I missed the fact that I forgot my spouse in that. So, okay. I want to start this program again to get healthy, to retire and travel the world with my spouse, Mm. my wife at the time. Okay. Was on the program for six months, fell off the wagon, went back one more time. And at this point, the identity questions were very loud in my life and what I'm living and experiencing. And I finally said to myself, and I wrote it on paper for the first time. And I said, I want to get healthy and give Cynthia, because I had named myself at the time, Cynthia, a body to start her life with. And boom, I lost 80 pounds. Um, I'm still have elements of that life in what I do today. For instance, you know, looking at sugars and oils and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, carbs and so forth, lots of different aspects, still a part of it. I'm not 80 pounds down, but I still have most of that weight is not, um, has not come back. And because I'm living a much more authentic, much more wholesome life, 
mm-hmm. um, related to that. And that for me was that epitome that it took that long to happen. You know, I talk about the idea of it took me 48 years to learn the language just to talk to myself about it. But it took me 50 years to actually have the courage to say or do anything about it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That 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 is very powerful. And I think um it, you know, I, I I've I've heard stories about celebrities and you know the well-known um Chris Jenner who who talked about his well her transition, shall I say, um, in becoming um I forgot what they they call themselves now. Um, I can't remember what what okay. their name is now. Um, but they, you know, that that was a famous case that came out, and um, she came out very late um, after yep. her career in athletics. Um, oh, after, you're talking about Caitlyn. Caitlyn Jenner, yes. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't remember it's okay. what her name it's okay. was. Um, <laughs> But, you know, that was a very famous case. And for me, it was the first time I've seen something so public um, yeah. as someone who isn't a part of that community and wondered why now. Yeah. And, you know, we even asked that, not even talking about our sexuality. We, we asked that in yeah. life about a lot of things like, why, why are we doing this now? And I think there has to be very powerful reasons. And like you said, there's a, there's a spiritual element that something works mm-hmm. inside of you which gives you that indication whether you believe in God, the universe, or whatever. whatever. There, there is something internal within you that gives you that kind of message to say, okay, it, it, it's, it's now the best time to do so. And yeah. I think we all wait for that. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> I think even for myself, um, being yeah. in my late teens, my late 20s, oh my gosh, I'm aging myself Ooh. backwards. <laughs> Um, I started to realize um, I came out of a relationship of seven years mm-hmm. and I, I even questioned myself, am I who I, I want to be? Is, is this yeah. me? And we go through those different phases in our lifetime. But you said something really interesting and you said you knew since you were about four years old. Correct. And what what do you if, if you can bring us back to that yeah. point? How did you know um, at that time something was different about you or this is not who you quite are sure uh, you know it's intriguing and, and with a sense of humor you know I Lady Gaga is right we are born this way yes, um yeah. and the reality is is that you know obviously when you're born I don't have language skills mm-hmm. um and but there's an, an innate knowing who you are so by four I knew that I wasn't this person that I was mm-hmm. supposed to be and my recollections of four were, you know, being told to, you know, be the boy that you're supposed to be, man up, you know, boys don't cry. Um, and all of those are memories that I have um, and the fragments of mm-hmm. what life was like at four, which to me says that I probably was clearly showing, demonstrating much more feminine traits at four years old, but I gave into that social pressure by at that time, my parents clearly, um, mm-hmm. who were wanting me to be the person they thought I was just because the doctor who could not see my entire identity when I was born, just as he can't see anybody's. And 
he based an entire decision of how my life was supposed to go based upon a set of genitalia, which is not the only biological component, by the way, that affects this conversation, although not everything is biology. There are many other elements that come into it. So the reality was is that at four, I had this innate knowing that I was not this person I was being told to be. And the more that I tested the waters of trying to kind of see how my identity emerged, the more that I began to feel comfortable that this is who I am. This is who I've always been. And it's not that I wish at four that I could have been me because then I wouldn't be me who I am today. So yes. it's not a matter of looking back and say, oh, I wish I would have, could have. It's, mm -hmm. no, look, that journey shaped who I am today. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, totally. And I think it's what we go through in life is, is the kind of defining factor of who we become and I think yeah. without those experiences and I like the word that you use even like fragments um in our lifetime we don't quite understand the whole journey or the full the bigger picture to, right. to say to say the least so um and I guess if you take us back at a time where you were a young boy at the time um what was the what was the kind of conversations around the LGBTQ plus community or were there even any kind of perceptions or anything? What was the narrative surrounding that period of time? Um, yeah, I mean, depending kind of which time frame you want to go back into, the reality was, say, through my teens, mm -hmm. um, that would be 70s into the 80s. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so during that cycle, you were hearing bits and bobs about the LGBTQ community, which wasn't even called that at the time. Um, mm. Most of it was kind of like, you know, the gay community mm, um, or some other derogatory term. Uh, again, you got to realize that at that point, I was living um, with an immense amount of white privilege in, you know, kind of middle income North America, um, even though that's not where I was born, but mm -hmm. you know, that aspect really influenced kind of how I saw. Um, so as I, mm -hmm. I just did a post on my blog and you know, I, I, I talked about the fact that, you know, during the later years, which would be probably my early twenties mm -hmm. into my thirties, yeah. um, I realized I don't look that much older, but I am. <laughs> Um, you look fabulous. Yeah, thank you. Um, as do you today, by the way. Uh, but no, the reality was that, you know, um, the idea of kind of, you know, gay marriage was coming up and in the news. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember with such disdain that I had, I mean, I was one of those people who was going, well, no, it can't be marriage, but it could be, you know, a civil union. It could be a partnership, could be whatever. And... Mm -hmm. On, you know what? It's one of those examples where until the shoe was on the other foot and I was <laughs> part of the community, I did not realize the beauty and the simplicity of the love of two people, regardless if they happen to be both men or both women, and why they cannot enjoy the same privilege of being married. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and, and for that, I deeply deeply apologize to those who 
may have been influenced by the way that I was thinking, you know, with many others in society, um, and it was hurtful, and it was discriminatory, and it was bigot. It was bigoted. And mm -hmm. I have learned from that in the work that I do today. Um, and yeah, I am part of that community. And therefore, it is much more closer to my heart um, mm -hmm. in realizing the actual impact even back then, because this is pre-AIDS, even yeah. way back then, that, you know, oh my gosh, you, you know, what was going on? And that mm -hmm. is um, a, a really hard lesson to learn, but I am so thankful that I'm now able to take that and incorporate mm -hmm. a very hard lesson like that into something that I do today, which is why rather than people experience doing what I did, I try mm -hmm. and teach the idea of acceptance and acceptance is not agreement. It doesn't mean that somebody agrees with whatever they perceive my lifestyle might be the whole bit. Yeah. As human beings, we are so complex. Our The totality of our identity is so complex. Sometimes we're not even sure of our own identity, right? <laughs> I mean, you do not need to be LGBTQ plus identifying to not know your identity. Yeah. Um, and that's why we're always on personal journeys of discovery mm -hmm. and learning about ourselves. And yeah. so the idea is, if you're not even sure of all of yourself, then how can you even begin to think that you actually know somebody better than they know themselves? Mm -hmm. And in doing so, all we'd simply do is ask you to accept they are human beings. That's it. Not asking yeah. you to agree. And we definitely don't want you to, to to tolerate such a very negative word. We, we don't want yeah. to be tolerated. What yeah. we want to do is we want to be accepted. And through acceptance we can actually create, you know, kind of um, relationships with people through dialogue. Doesn't mean they become friends, but it means mm -hmm. we're not enemies. Um, yeah. And, you know, it is so easy to create an enemy of somebody, but it takes work and it takes investment in having conversations with that person and even perhaps developing a relationship in mm -hmm. order to create allies. Yes. And that's what I have learned through this journey is acceptance without understanding is the first step into being curious because you can't start a conversation about, okay, look, I don't get this. I'm curious. And mm -hmm. you know, the questions are, you know, why this, why did you though? Why is a question we ask to gain understanding? And it's very normal because if you think about the way we've been raised since children, <laughs> that is exactly everything we've ever been taught. You know, yeah. why is the sky blue? You know, why does two plus two equal four and, and so on, you know, and right through work. I mean, I used to be a technology executive and one of the troubleshooting tools that we had to get to root cause analysis was the seven why technique in order to gain mm -hmm. understanding. But if you begin with understanding, which means if I don't understand you, I cannot accept you. And that's what we mm -hmm. see happening today. Yeah. We need to reverse that and go, I accept you. I don't understand you but I accept you without understanding and together through dialogue, you can grow to acceptance with understanding. Remember that does not mean agreement. It just means that we can actually coexist and live in society together. Yeah, no, I think that is so true and so powerful because there's a lot of time we, we we come into situations where we think we know, or we have a perceived understanding and therefore that because we, understand we tend to either attract to it 
or we we tend to run away from it and by running away we then build narratives and discourse of hate of discrimination of um distastefulness and and i think because we we think we know what we know therefore we can have an opinion <laughs> and no matter what that opinion may be hurtful or not we we, we start generating some sort of narrative around it but I, I love what you said we need to reverse that and look at acceptance and for me as as and and this is why for me probably this conversation is more for me than anyone else in our audience <laughs> but no that's take that um and and for me it's I, I am curious and because I'm not part of the, that community but I've seen I've seen beyond that I, I I see that there is a human um you know we we all have you know we, we were all put on this world t- together so we might as well learn to live together at least yes um we're, we're yeah. all human we're not yeah. alien to one another as much as society or political institutions try to yeah. make us um become yeah. but at the end of the day we we all have a common goal in trying to get to where we want to be in life and that is being our authentic self no matter what that may look like exactly. so for me I, I I very much am always questioning and always wondering okay why why do people do this so and it's not even just people but you know as you rightly said things in general why do we do it that way and not this way and it's not for me to gain a full understanding it's for me to continue to be curious and okay this is how it is but I want to understand more as to why this is why it is yeah. Um, so I think that is that is so and for me it's it's really reassuring as well um the fact that I can I can still remain curious um mm-hmm. you know despite whether I may agree or you know like you rightly said it's not about agreement it's yeah. about accepting but with without understanding and for me that is very powerful and yeah. I guess coming coming back to you know we're in the working world um what do you what do you now perceive are are, are the barriers that um people within the lgbtq plus community face there's many Mm. i mean there are a lot um which is why people talk about you know our human rights um Mm. and, and you hear simple examples being shared you know to be able to walk down the street with your partner um especially if they're a same sex partner mm-hmm. that you know without kind of that judgment right because to mm-hmm. to live a life of acceptance is to learn to live with less judgment i mean mm-hmm. look we're all human we're going to pass judgment i am not per- i teach it and i'm not perfect i catch myself judging and then i have mm-hmm. to stop myself and step back and go well, why am i judging this why can mm-hmm. i not just accept it um and so i have to constantly you know keep doing that but that's because mm-hmm. i'm aware because I've become consciously aware of all of this. So within the the community at large, you know, we have some basic rights. If you look at what's going on in the world and it's not just America, it's not just the UK. Mm -hmm. um, The fact is, is it's happening in many, many places um, concurrently right now. And what we're seeing is um, efforts to roll back the rights that have been gained. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the rights to have same-sex relationships that are not illegal. Um, you know, that fight is 
ongoing because there's places that have never made it legal and there's places that have made it legal that there's some rhetoric and talk and in fact there's actually some you know legislative efforts to take that away and of course from that that means same-sex marriage they're they're again um some efforts are trying to roll that back and you know same-sex adoption rights um and even within that is um and certainly within the queer community, you know, there's the idea of reproductive rights, which, of course, all women, including trans women, trans men, non-binary and gender non-conforming folks who all have the capability to give birth, um, to deal with it. And I, I, I mean, I'm 57. I'm not about to go on the journey, but I, I could actually get a uterine transplant. Um, it's been done 100 times in kind of over history. And that could create the opportunity for me to actually carry a child to birth. It would have to be delivered by cesarean, but I could mm -hmm. deliver a child um, that way. Um, so I include all of the identities because I think one of the things that we see happening is that the, the move that, that I was talking about that is attacking those rights is also attacking women's rights, women's rights to access to birth control and to autonomy over our own bodies mm -hmm. um, and access to proper health care because mm -hmm. medicine does not seem to factor in a woman's body into the healthcare regime. Mm -hmm. They just adapt male perceived processes mm -hmm. to fit women. Um, and I think, and certainly I can't speak to it, but I perceive that that is being felt by um, the black and ethnic minority community that again, some of those rumblings, but I think at least, I think at a very public level, we're not seeing or maybe feeling it because George Floyd was not that long ago and everybody's going, okay, hang on. Like we, we just went through this tumultuous period of learning that we should have done hundreds of years <laughs> ago. Um, but our privilege has been blocking us. And now we're a bit more aware and awake. So mm -hmm. guess what? Um, you know, maybe not quite there. So what you're seeing is the most marginalized of the marginalized, which is right now the trans, non-binary, gender, non-conforming community mm -hmm. is suffering the brunt as, if you will, as that spearhead of attacks um, on rights of either denying rights that we've never had we're trying to take away rights that we have fought very hard to gain. Mm. Um, and, and I get it because just in saying that phrase, you know, um, of, you know, the transgender, gender nonconforming, non-binary, that is what we refer to as the, um, you know, the trans umbrella. And mm. at least by identity, it's pretty diverse. Yeah. Uh, and so it's very difficult to perhaps someone who has none of the understanding, none of the awareness to see some of the similarities in that it's about a person's identity. Um, mm. And in doing so, realize that there are people at different stages kind of through that. That I'll share with your audience like a very quick lesson that mm. I learned recently. So when I came out in 2016, I was told that I'm transgender. Um, and I said, oh, well, you meant transsexual. I went, no, transsexual is an old word. We don't use it. In North America, that's how it's perceived. But when I came to the UK, I met folks who identify as transsexual. And as I've gone back and looked into the history of the identity, which comes from Hirschfeld in Germany, 
Um, mm -hmm. And if people are familiar with that, his was the first library that his books were burnt and his books were the over 20 years of research and studies and analysis of this community. And they attacked his clinic. They killed um, some of the folks that worked there. And that happened in Nazi Germany. And so that shows us some of the parallels, why we hear some of the conversation today going there, because there is this idea of trying to erase identities again. Mm -hmm. And because we're so diverse, it's really hard for folks to fathom where it fits in. So for me, the lesson was I have added the word transsexual as a valid identity back into my lexicon. When I talk about this, transgender is the umbrella. Mm. It is a specific identity. And within that are many different identities, including transsexual, which by definition, even though it's a word I don't use, I'm actually transsexual. Mm -hmm. um, that is, um, and I think it's just, I'm still working through what I've learned about that word and why I find it so offensive to me personally, mm -hmm. because there are many others who go, no, that's who we are. Um, and in doing so, we actually ignore their needs in the conversation because in this idea of creating this trans umbrella, We've yeah. actually erased their identity. Mm. Um, and so yeah. there's always something to learn. <laughs> yeah. And there, there are so many different kind of angles and I guess people's own experience and what they feel comfortable in identifying yeah. as. Um, but th there's just so many. And it's so. And, and for me, it, it's so fascinating to really delve into um how identity politics plays a wider mm -hmm. part in all of this um and and the things that it includes and it excludes and then who's at the table doing or writing the narrative about it and who isn't so there's always this constant battle and even within the trans umbrella we also have you know just not just the the sexual identities but the identities yeah. of people of color people with disabilities mm -hmm. um people from socioeconomic backgrounds and you know that intersectionality of it yeah. all yeah is so so important and i think um i was actually doing some research mm -hmm. um just the other week around queer theory and okay. using it more as a as a critical analysis rather than as um as something that is and yeah. what I found fascinating in doing that reading and in some following readings from it is how even what what we knew as queer what we know as queer theory that had a certain perception and a certain look of it in terms of um it really kind of I guess um looked at the experiences from those of white privileged backgrounds or white backgrounds yep. um, and it didn't quite fit the narrative in really looking and really um, being critical of you know using queer theory as a critical yep. approach in really understanding experiences of those that are non-white or or that were um of pe people with disabilities and it really didn't take that into consideration so you have things like crip theory that came as a result um from discussions around people with disabilities within the community mm -hmm. but it, it was just so interesting to look at um queer theory from more for me from more of a critical 
analysis point of view to understand how people have been left out even though they ascribed or identified as being part of that community Um, absolutely you know for me that was one of the awakenings you know when I talk Mm -hmm. about this idea you, you know um I always describe the idea of privilege, you know, is like a set of blinders, like Mm. a a horse pulling a cart would wear, right? Mm. And it really affects the way that you see the world. And that view, that filtered view is bias, right? And if you have it from birth because of perhaps the color of your skin um, or the family that you were born into, things you could not control, then that may be unconscious bias. And Mm. the challenge here is that, you know, we're now starting to realize, at least for me, it was take off those blinders. And honestly, the first thing I went is, okay, I see all the social injustice going on. Is this really how the world has been? Was mm-hmm. I really living that privileged of a life that yeah. I could not see all of this going on? It wasn't that I was ignoring it. It yeah. just was not in my visibility. Yeah. And the problem is that once you learn to take off those blinders, I can't unsee social injustice. And so for me, I hear exactly what you're talking about. And the realization of how much white privilege that carries for me into societies that are systemically created to actually benefit me, whether or not I created them or so forth. The fact that I don't try and stop it or reverse it means I'm enjoying the privilege and doing absolutely nothing about it. Mm, yeah yeah no and I totally agree it we we need and and I love that analogy with the horse with the blinders on and removing the blinders it it, it's so crazy when when you actually remove that you see the world in a very different way and you're just like okay even for myself you know Mm -hmm. I had um you know growing up in the Caribbean I had a very limited purview of living on an island of only about 15,000 people so you can imagine everything kind of looked and sound the same (laughs) and then coming to the UK that was when my blinders came off and I was just like oh wow there's a whole different world um so it's fascinating in in how by just doing that we we see the world and then we we enter the space of acceptance without understanding because we start asking questions don't we so I I think by doing that it is really helpful and I guess coming you know back into the work Sophia we see now that pride is is now one of the key things in the diary. Every June, we celebrate Pride for 30 days. We have color change logos. We have, you know, commitments coming out and different things going on. And I guess from myself looking in from, and I'm positioning myself more as an ally um, here, it it all seems very performative as we've seen with a lot of things that happen in the DNI space. Yes. What are what are your um, perceptions or your, I guess, guidance as to how how can organisations move beyond being, you know, taking that formative, yeah. formative approach? Uh, great question. You know, I think one of the challenges that happens that you're right. I mean, you see the colour change, and of course, this year some companies are challenging. Are they ready to deal with the pushback that will come <laughs> from those who literally seem to be attacking anything with a rainbow? Um, <laughs> thankfully, they seem to separate that when it comes to the NHS, thankfully. Um, uh, the NHS has enough troubles. They don't need yeah. the fact that there's a rainbow logo being one of them. 
Yeah. Um, so at the end of the day, you're right. I think there's been a lot of performative action. Um, and some folks may be aware of kind of, there's been a hashtag going around. It, it hasn't gained a huge voice, but it's, yeah. you know, Pride 365, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than say, look to hire me as a speaker, educator to come in and work with the organization in June, Mm -hmm. um, or doing transgender, um, you know, visibility day or mm -hmm. transgender mm -hmm. awareness week in November. Mm -hmm. The fact is I live this life 365 days a year. Yeah. Um, pride is 365 days a year because the core essence behind pride, such as walking down the street every day and existing mm -hmm. as a point of a protest, whether I wear the headband or not, yeah. It is that I exist 365 days a year. Yeah. And when's the right time to educate and learn and so forth? Well, it's mm -hmm. any time. Yeah. Um, much yeah. as we need to learn about, um, you know, those with disabilities, as mm -hmm. we need to learn from the Black and ethnic minority communities, um, as we need yeah. to learn from women. Um, mm. There <laughs> is so much from marginalized communities that we need to learn. and, and you know, for clarity of your audience, women are the largest group of marginalized people on this planet. Um, mm -hmm. And so from my perspective, I absolutely include women when I look at marginalized communities and what we need to learn through it. And so it's not about fly your flag in colors. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Do we want to? Sure. I would like to see it more often. Um, mm -hmm. And the whole idea is, When's the right time to educate or run that session or, uh, you know, bring in a series of education to help your leaders and your staff develop with a much more um, diverse, inclusive mindset yep. all the time. And mm -hmm. we don't want performative, you know, being performative is like going to the restaurant and the server seeing that there's a bunch of women that they'll be taking care of. And so rather than saying, hi, guys, which is very colloquial, although very gendered, I won't go there right now. Uh, <laughs> the last thing the women want is a hi, ladies, because that's simply a performative response mm. to the perceived, because they don't know the identities of those uh, people yeah. at the table. Yeah. And so they make an assumption and they are very performative in the way they greet them, which they don't normally do any other time. Rather, mm. I would see people go, oh, how about I go, hi, folks, hi, everyone, um, mm -hmm. or just simply, you know, welcome, uh, yeah. right? Like you mm -hmm. don't need to call out genders and identities in all these situations. Or you go into the office, right? You go, mm -hmm. hi, team, right? Yeah. Um, hi, everyone, like, good morning, everyone, whatever it happens to be. There are lots of ways to become inclusive 365 days a year in order to deal with that. Ladies and gentlemen, again, you go to, you know, good evening, everyone. Welcome to our event. Yeah. You, you don't need to, because you don't know in that audience who you're going to exclude. And so yeah. just learning the simplicity of some mm -hmm. language tricks that are not difficult mm -hmm. uh, in terms of how you could be more inclusive. And mm -hmm. you know what? I'm not saying you have to be. I am just providing you some education and awareness if you want to be. Want to be. Yeah. Because yeah. at the end of the day, we all have a choice. And yeah. if you want to be in it, you can. If you don't, it's okay. Um, yeah. but if you if you are in that space, at least allow and create a space where everyone feels 
welcomed, where everyone feel like they belong somewhere. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, the first thing you don't want to do is exclude them by simple ways of language. And don't get me wrong, I've been, you know, even from our last chat, you know, I said, hey, guys, or something like that. Or, or, <laughs> and, I was, and, and I immediately took myself back and I'm just like, no, Ivelka, this is not the way how to address. Um, but you, we get caught in that mm -hmm. moment. But it's being consciously aware of it. Yes. And I think that's what it's important. It's being consciously aware that, okay, this was something that I recognize that could potentially alienate someone from a discussion. Yeah. Um, and then finding ways to overcome that. And I think being very transparent and honest with yourself, I think a lot yeah. of us hide behind the shadows of, oh, I don't want to engage in that conversation because mm -hmm. I don't want to offend anyone. Yeah, Just ask. Or if you say it incorrectly, someone will correct you. Um, yeah. And I think it's down to people on the receiving end to not take it as an offense as well, because not everyone is aware. And it is our job, well, not our job, but it's our kind of responsibility shall I say to really allow people to to know if if something is offensive or not to yourself because what may be offensive to you may not be offensive to another yes absolutely so, yeah. um so yeah so what would you like my final question what would you like to see in the future in regards to the LGBT plus community what what are your hopes um for, for, for the community? And what can allies perhaps can do going forward? Well, you know, um, when I talk about acceptance, I, I really do mean that I would love a world where everybody can just learn to accept each other and all our differences mm -hmm. and learn to co coexist. Mm -hmm. um, I realize that's a, a panacea, a utopia that I'm talking about. Um, we are human. Um, and, We've never, as far as I know, we've never enjoyed it to date. Um, mm. And we probably, you know, may never get there. But, but much like many great things that are worth working towards, it is mm. aspirational in nature. So perhaps the idea of getting towards a more utopian, equal world it mm. is an aspirational goal. And I'm very encouraged by the youth. Um, now, for me, that means a lot of people are youth to me. Um, <laughs> But the reality is that probably if you are 30 something and under, 35 and under, um, mm -hmm. I consider you in the youth. And many of them get it. They get the idea of what we need to do in terms of climate justice, in terms mm -hmm. of pretty much most aspects of social justice. Um, and they're really smart. And so the idea is they are hope of that better tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And they are what will take us on the journey. And I like to reference, they are not future leaders. When you look at your child and you go, they're a future leader. No, they're mm -hmm. a leader today. And we yeah. just need to give them the opportunity to lead. Mm -hmm. we, as adults, we need to support them with what may be required. But at the end of the day, they know how to lead and they get it. And they can help lead us to a much brighter future that we can all benefit and enjoy. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think it, it's so true. And I see as I'm in that bracket of the young, the youth. <laughs> 
I, I do see people within my age group and above and even below really advocating and really engaging in these conversations. Um, I don't really like to use the term woke generation because it, it, it brings to me sometimes people take that in a negative way. Um, yes. But in terms of my idea is they are awakened to the injustice that is happening around us yeah. because they've they've been in a world where they can take off their blinders a lot earlier than yeah. perhaps those in the 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 older generation has yes so by by being so much more open and so much more free and yes people have their cons in terms of social media but we see a lot more because of social media yeah. and the internet we're able to reach um audiences from beyond you know with the George Floyd murder look how that catapult across the world and impacted mm -hmm. ev almost every inch of yeah. all continents that was because we live in an age where these things can no longer be silent or cocooned yeah. into one aspect they're allowed, no matter what city or state you're in, mm -hmm. they're allowed instances of injustice and people oh, yeah. will get caught out and the youth will call them out. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we, we live in, yeah. we, we're moving towards a generation where we're a lot more awakened to, to, to the injustices that are happening. And I think people are being, people are, people are having a much more emphasis in, okay, how do I, how can I play a part in changing this? And I think it, it's it's promising. Yeah. Um, it, it sucks that it has to it's taken this long, but yeah. I think slowly, and I'm I'm a little bit utopian in that sense that we will get there. Um, yeah. and we will hopefully all be in a space where 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 these things are no longer, you know, confined to a month or a day or oh, yeah. you know. Um, a specific yeah. time but it, it's something that we regularly have conversations um, around and yeah. um so yeah so that's that's I guess my hope as well um in terms of all aspects of diversity in terms of yes. everyone being their authentic self so yeah that that's what I hope for too <laughs> yeah beautifully said well, thank you so much, Cynthia, for joining us once again on our podcast. It was great You're to welcome. have you. And thank you for being so transparent and open about your story um, as well. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing that with our audience. And I wish you all the best in what you do. And I, I, I am going to make it a commitment to keep these conversations going, even if it means our audience have to see you again. Um, <laughs> to bring Can I learn, see what I learned for next time? <laughs> So, no, thank you so much for your time and um, I'll see you soon. Take You're care. You're so welcome. Take care. Happy Pride, everyone. Mm -hmm.